work from what you know, what you have your passion in. And that's going to give you an edge on everyone else. Because as Jack Trout says, differentiate or die. You mm. need to have your product to be unique. What sets it apart? And if you start with your own knowledge, you're different. Mm. Everyone is unique. So build that into your product. What do you do that's unique? What is it that um, uh, sets you apart? Do that for your product. And then don't stop there. Always put it in front of the customer for feedback. Because mm. now you're one person. Get it in front of your customers. Get feedback. See what they say. And when you follow that rule, you'll have a product that's unique, that's differentiated, and that customers want. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help, uh, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time to chat. Now, today we have a, another great guest on the podcast, and Stephen, and I'll go with Silikoff. Silikoff? Close enough, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so Stephen, uh, starting out, went to Wharton for a period of time. I think he jumped around to a couple other schools, um, did uh, some things in fashion photography, uh, went to Milan, had some uh, fun success there, and then made a, a bit of a pivot from photography to multimedia, worked for uh, Microsoft, for, I think, for a bit of time in Seattle, um, and then uh, ended up uh, doing some glass blowing classes. And I think that's, if I remember right, and I could be completely wrong, um, that's how you met your wife slash ex-wife, but don't, I don't uh, call me on it. Um, and then, uh, continue to do, or do some stuff with, um, service dogs and, uh, on, and, uh, have, having a, a story to tell there and then launched, or uh, um, got some, uh, Sam or launched, I think it was pillowcases, um, and got some samples before Christmas, gave them out to a few things. It blew up, went well, and, uh, been building a, a bit of where he's at today after that. So that's a very brief and high level overview. And I'm sure I got a couple things wrong, but I did my best. And with that, welcome on the podcast, Stephen. Thank you. Thank, did you get, did you breathe in the middle of all that? It's <laughs> wow. It, it was, it was a little bit of a mouthful, but I, I think I got through most of it and di what didn't make too many, hopefully mistakes, but no, it was a, uh, it was a good journey. I'm excited to dive in a bit, to, a bit more of your journey. So now that I gave the brief overview, take us back in time a little bit to when you're at Wharton and kind of how that went. And let's hear a little bit about your journey. Yeah, I, I loved it. And, um, it's one of those places where you really feel that you are um, surrounded by people who are absolutely brilliant. And I was lucky I've had that opportunity a few other times in my life. Certainly at Microsoft for 12 years, I did some consulting and I was at uh, the Ford Foundation for uh, uh, a few weeks doing some consulting. And once again, you get that feeling. There's, there's nothing more of a rush and when your mind is trying to keep up with everything and it's just boom, boom, boom. But so, uh, it now took a while we, to get there. Before we dive, jump up to Microsoft, because I think that jumps over a bit of what you did before. Oh, yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> but you did, you know, fashion industry for a period of time, went to Milan. Yeah, so maybe I used to do. Share us a little, or tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I started Wharton and um, discovered uh, fraternity life, which was not, uh, didn't leave my dad too happy, who uh, 
pulled me out and put me under a school where my brother could keep me under his watchful eye, mm. or at least he tried to. Um, and instead of, uh, well, I guess it was still sort of a rebellion. I decided that instead of law school, I was going to become a fashion photographer. So I grew mm. my hair long and um, um, I'm originally from New York, but moved to, uh, to downtown New York and started off as an apprentice with fashion photographers until I could go mm. into business myself. Hmm. Um, and, uh, um, one of the very first people I ever worked with was Annie Leibowitz, who is just incredible. Now, all I did was I stuccoed a wall on the back of her studio for a background for, for her photographs, but just to be there and, and, and listen to her and, and see how she worked and to, to see things on the wall was, was incredible. Hmm. But uh, eventually, as I said, I, uh, uh, I got enough gumption to start off on my own, mm. picked up my camera, my portfolio, had a couple of um, uh, rock and roll gigs under my, my belt doing some album covers and stuff. And I thought mm. I was, you know, just everything. So got in the plane, went to Milan and uh, proceeded to live as a starving artist. But it mm. was great. I think as entrepreneurs you inherently have that risk gene. Actually, it's probably a combination of risk gene and arrogance slash stupidity because you believe that you can do something and then you jump in and you do it. I don't think mm. entrepreneurs as a breed, we don't take things safe. Mm. So, um, so I had a lot of fun with that, did that for a number of years until my, my eyes started going. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was, I was diabetic. And um, I got into multimedia development, still staying in the graphics area. Mm. And that shifted to developing multimedia learning and did pretty well with that. Beat out mm. Microsoft for the sort of the, uh, the, the big awards of the year. And they recruited me and brought me up here to Seattle, which I absolutely love. It's be most, one of the most beautiful places in the country. Mm. Um, and I, then I rose through the ranks of Microsoft and I eventually became... Uh, so business manager to two one, one question vice before, before we get yeah, too much yeah. into Microsoft. And but so I mean, it seems like from fashion photography to Microsoft is a, at least a bit of a pivot or a bit of a, a different career path. So how did you kind of make that jump, that leap? And was it a you know was it a, a significantly different atmosphere? Did you find commonalities or kind of how was that adjustment or that pivot? Well, it it definitely is a pivot, but it was also in many ways a natural progression. Uh, when I first landed in Italy, and I had done a lot of work in New York, I, I was humbled. I had some great art directors I've worked with. One of them was uh, Renzo Castiglione, and a bit of a legend at the time. Um, he, uh, he, he, he ran a number of magazines for Mondial, uh, Mondiolori, I think the name mm. of the publishing house was. But he looked at my work, and he said, this is great. I can see where the buttons and the pleats are, which is exactly what I learned to do in New York. Mm. Said, but I don't know what it's like. How does it feel to wear these clothes? Mm. What is she feeling pointing to the model? What is he feeling? Mm. And I was stumped because I never thought about that before. So it shifted my entire approach to photography. I wasn't as worried about, you know, that the Brooks brothers pleat on the shoulder came forward I was more interested in communicating how someone felt, what was going on inside, how would this make you feel? Mm. And uh, 
that completely changed my photography, but it also allowed me when I, I it was a transferable approach. When I started a multimedia uh, training and uh, multimedia development, it was not always the, the, the delivery was mm. the information that we had to give over. But the vehicle was, how do you personalize this? How does you make, how do you make it important to the person who's learning? How do you mm. make them feel? Mm. And that I think was probably um, the, the, the telling uh, uh, aspect of it that made a small group of us in, in Texas beat out Microsoft because mm. it became engaging content. In fact, so engaging that some of the work was used on President Clinton's Council on e-learning. Mm. Um, it really brought home the fact that, frankly, we all know it now during COVID, online mm. learning can be incredibly boring. So <laughs> here we were uh, mm. really on pushing the, the, the edge of the envelope and making it engaging, making it compelling. Mm. So taking that, and when it brought me to Microsoft, that was my mandate take what they were creating and mm. make it compelling, make it engaging. Um, and so, that started my, and my I think that, there. that, that it makes for make, makes perfect sense as far as how you make that transition in the sense that a lot of what you're doing in photography is trying to make a compelling picture that they want to buy the, buy the, you know, buy the, uh, the whatever piece of fashion or product it is. And at the same time, you know, it has, you have one picture, it has to tell the story, has to give the information and then taking that to multimedia and make it engaging. Now, as you're working for uh, going forward just a bit in time, I think as we talked a little bit before the podcast, more working at Microsoft, um, you know, you're kind of working on all that. You also got into a bit of kind of marketing and retail and that on the side and did that now with, I think it was your wife at the time and now ex-wife and kind of maybe jump or dive us through. So you working with Microsoft, how did you make the transition to the next or next phase of what you were doing? Well, I, that, that entrepreneur gene was still there. Mm. And uh, uh, my wife uh, had a disability, so she was at home a lot. And mm. I wanted something she could do from home. So I started up um, a couple of businesses, and, and one of them ended taking off, uh, taking off pretty well. Mm. And I say wife, ex-wife, we're still friends. She just sent me a picture a few minutes ago of, mm. of this. It's snowing down in, uh, outside of Los Angeles. <laughs> so um, we're still friends, and, and mm. uh, that's pretty cool. Mm. Um, but, uh, as I said, I wanted to start up, um, business that she could run. Mm. So I tried a few things really didn't take off. And then we got a service dog, Gabby. Mm. Gabby was a Yorkie that was oversized. We called her a Yorkie source. Mm. And the first night that we had her, uh, she climbed into bed. I climbed into bed and then Gabby ran, jumped, leaped up on the bed. And even though she was a little dog, she turned sideways, stretched out pushed my wife over. She mm. pushed me over to the edge of the bed. And um, I couldn't say anything. And if mm. you're married, you know what the look is. And my mm. wife gave me the look because this is it. Get used to it. Mm. Um, I have a tendency to approach things in life with a sense of humor. And uh, after a few days, um, I got a thought, I'm not the only one where the dog takes up half the bed. I started looking around to see uh, what else is, what is out there as far as products to have some uh, fun with this. And I mm. couldn't find anything. Also did a little research. 53% of, uh, of uh, pet owners or dog owners in the U.S. 
have the dog sleep on the bed, which mm. means more dogs sleep on the bed than dog dog crates, dog kennels, mm. uh, dog houses mm. um, combined, uh, dog beds combined. So mm. that's a pretty strong market. And in fact, it rises up to 30, uh, 73% with small dogs. So mm. I knew there was something there. Mm. And um, uh, one night started putting together uh, a concept. So I had pillowcases. Mm. Uh, eventually came out with pillowcases where one half said the dog sleeps here and the other half says the wife sleeps here. <laughs> and the very edge squished up when Fod said the husband sleeps here. Mm. And uh, people really enjoy that. See, wow. Find one here of that. Here's our old catalog. And if it's possible to go up to the uh, to the camera, mm. but there you see the dog, the wife, the husband, and so on. Mm. And um, that's what we did pretty well. As, as you had mentioned, uh, I took my first samples that I got and uh, brought them to a, a retailer who had been guiding me along. And mm. he, I said, you know, what, what do you think? He says, well, we'll take a dozen. We'll put them up into a, uh, a trunk show they were doing right before Christmas. Mm. And it was a Wednesday night. Well, I was all excited. Thursday, it's like, I can't wait to hear. Did they sell any of them? That would be so cool if they did. Mm. And I did not hear anything. Mm. And I'm thinking, uh, uh, failure. <laughs> so mm. um, Friday morning, they get a hold of me and they say, we were trying to reach you yesterday. We couldn't reach you. We sold out. Do you have any more? Mm. So I brought down the rest of the samples. Um, they sold them out right before Christmas. And I knew I had a hit. So we took those pillowcases and went to um, Global Pet Expo a couple of months later, which is the largest pet product expo in the US put on by American Pet Products Association. Mm. And people loved it. Um, I had a lot of retailers come by and say, we've never seen anything like that. Can we have it? Mm. Um, I had um, uh, agents come by and said, I've never repped anything like that. Can we rep you? Um, American Pet Products Association gave us second place for best new pet product of the year for boutiques. Mm. A couple of weeks later, I was talking to one of my clients and they said, aren't you excited? And I said, yes, but about what? And they said, uh, your product was on the Today Show. So I was like, <laughs> wow, that's just, mm. and, and things took off. People, it really resonated with people, both the, the, the pet aspect um, I knew that the market was strong because at Microsoft, you learn not to just go off of your gut, but to go off of numbers as well. Mm. And um, uh, it, it, we eventually got into um, Bed Bath & Beyond, um, uh, Francesca's, piles of, of, of uh, independent and small retailers, mm. um, and um, the uh, uh, Atlanta Mark, America's Mark in uh, Atlanta, the Las Vegas shows, the... Uh, Los, Los Angeles shows. I mean, just was right across the U.S. with a sales force of over 100 folks and, um, and even international sales because somehow they found out about us and mm. everyone loves their dogs. So that was a, a lot of fun. And at the same time, I was working at Microsoft. I was business manager at Worldwide Retail Sales and Marketing. Mm. So um, one of Bill Gates's last uh, official acts at Microsoft, we were able to introduce him to our concept of a store within a store and a Microsoft standalone store. Mm. Um, and he got involved on the corporate side of putting together a retail store. And, uh, and of course, production, 
that I was learning both on a grand scale and on a small scale with my own businesses. It's been quite a ride. Now, remind me, so and did that, it was successful, it was, it was a fun, and it sounds like a fun business, and you're getting a lot of traction, and then you, I think it was, you know, you had a heart attack, if I remember right, or something of that nature, and decided you wanted to shift gears a bit, or what you found is really a love product development, helping others do kind of the same thing you've done. Is that about Absolutely. right? Is that my re- recollection yep. correct? Yep, yep. That particular business, we had to dissolve when I went through a divorce, and I had some others since then. Mm. Um, and I had a, a friend who convinced me to help others learn to do the same thing, which we did. We brought people out to China. Mm. I showed them around factories and taught them how to negotiate. And then um, uh, a year and a half ago, I was mm. driving across the U.S., uh, stopped off at Yellowstone. If nobody has gone to Yellowstone, you absolutely have to put that on your list. Mm. Um but I, I didn't stay as long as I wanted because coming across the, the mountains, you know, the continental divide, I got a little bit of indigestion, a little mm. pain I thought was from altitude. Mm. So uh, I cut that short, short, continued driving back to uh, Seattle. And a couple of days later, uh, that, that indigestion pain came back. And I told a friend of mine, I said, that just doesn't feel right. And, uh, and she said, well, you're going to the hospital. I didn't, I couldn't argue. So <laughs> she brought me to the hospital and I discovered I was having a heart attack. I, it wasn't like the movies. There's no elephant on my chest or any of that. It was just, um, a bit of a pain and a good friend. And, uh, uh, as we were talking, I woke up the next day and I realized how lucky I am. Mm. It was a real moment of of gratitude. I had a, uh, a, a new product I, I had recently launched. It was doing well. I was in the gift bags at the Oscars. I was in a bunch of magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, I was helping people with this program. And I realized that's really where I want to focus myself. Um, it's, uh, there, there's a country song, live like you're dying. Well, I had mm. the dying aspect of it. And that was a chance to say, what do I want to do? And, um, Devin, I, I, I've got to be straight. I've, I've seen a lot of stuff online in mm. Facebook groups, um, it, 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 email blasts and stuff like that of people saying, get rich quick, do this, whether it's, you know, day trading or house flipping or Bitcoin or, um, Amazon products or whatever. Um, it always, Everything sounds so easy and simple Mm. and nothing really is out there that easy and simple. So I figured this is something that I know works. This is something I've helped other people do. Um, And, uh, and I ended up putting it all down on paper. Uh, Everything I've learned from incredible people along the way, uh, people who've introduced amazing brands, uh, people who've sold in big box stores, what I learned from, from my own students, what I learned from retailers, um, what I learned from factories. And it ended up going into this tiny little book, 500 plus pages. Mm. But uh, people deserve, people go into this. This is their dream. They say, oh, I want to do something. I've seen Shark Tank. I want to do that. Mm. And they don't know where to start. So um, I help people. I have a program where I train people and so on. But also, 
I wanted to put a book out there that's just easy, affordable, a resource for for folks to get to who who are interested in this and are, are looking to to put in a little time to study it and do it right because mm. there are incredible opportunities. When mm. you have an idea and you work on that in your brain and you go to sleep every day thinking of that and it's an invention that's different than anything else that's out there, something that's going to help people. Mm. Um, so what do you do to make it real? Yes, I say, what do you do to make it real? And mm. that's where the challenge is. You've got the hard part. You've got the mm. idea. Now the rest, frankly, is just routine. But if you don't know the routine, mm. you can, you can you know, fall off the tracks. So now with that, you know, kind of that realization, a bit of a, hey, you live like you're dying. You figure out the dying part. Now you're going to figure out the living part type of a thing. Now, you know, you're saying, hey, if I'm going to, I want to help other people figure out how to develop products. I want to help them to, you know, how figure out how to get manufacturing and sales and product development and design. And you came out with a book, all of the above, you know, and you launched that, <clears throat> excuse me, you launched that company. You know, has it been successful? Is there a lot of pent up demand and people are needing that, wanting that and finding you? Or is it a bit of a slow build? Is it a bit of a side hustle, semi-retirement? Don't care, just love it and, and have an enjoy or kind of how has that worked out as you've got things now up and going? So yesterday, one of my clients um, uh, who is a um, winner on Shark Tank was talking to her shark and um, uh, approached me originally because they were having problems with their manufacturing, with their supply chain um, and so on. And was talking to their shark and said, yeah, we had this problem. And I got in touch with this guy named Steve who wrote this book and he's helped me and he solved all these problems. They called me up afterwards to say that sharks often get desperate calls from people saying, mm what do I do? I've got all these big problems. I don't know how to do this. I'm overwhelmed. And their particular shark, and I'm trying to be discreet because I don't know how much information I'm allowed to share. Mm. Their particular shark was thrilled mm. that as a company, they sought, out the res- they sought out the resources and people with knowledge. They solved their own problem instead of coming to him begging and complaining. And um, they were absolutely psyched about the way that it turned out. To, to know that, you know, someone on Shark Tank is saying, your guy really helped you. To have folks with hmm. incredible um, uh, inventions. Um, I've, I've got a, a woman who's, she's, she's rather timid if you meet her in person, but she, she has the blood of an entrepreneur. She just drives. And hmm. she's got a product that, um, if it hits, and I think it will, will, will not only be strong in the consumer aspect, but uh, will probably be private labeled by a couple of mm. large food industries to be put out under their own names. And because she's got a utility patent on it, she's got, you know, uh, hopefully this will turn into an ATM for her. Mm, uh, cool. I've got to, I mean, I just, the stories are incredible. And And, and the way I work is, uh, join my my program, pay a price, learn, and and you're part of the program from then on. I don't take percentages off of people or anything else. I get such an incredible rush to see people doing things and getting successful. It's probably the 
the worst business model in the world, but I do it because I love it. It really is. It's like, uh, um, I don't have any kids, but I can only imagine it's like if you you have a child and you raise them and you suddenly see them become a doctor and they cure cancer. I mean, it's just like, mm. how proud can you be of people? I, there's a woman down in Australia whose children came up with an idea mm. and she believed in her children. And, and, uh, and she came to me when we sat down and uh, this product is about to go into manufacturing. She just got her last final uh, prototypes. She went through design for manufacturing to make sure she got all the tweaks and it's going to be a cost-effective process um she'll be starting manufacturing after chinese new year and this is going to take the world by storm i mean this is a product that you'll be seeing in um in in in, in walmart and target and so on um a year from now it is mm. just amazing and another woman who's got um a product um it the the, the old business model of the razor and the blades so she's got a, a, a hard product and then a mm. consumable product that gets purchased again and again and again. Mm. And Devin, the feeling of, of, of having time to sit down with her and talk about beyond the product, at this point, we're talking about how she's going to have to be staffing out supply side folks, um, how she's going to have to uh, be able to, to do her 3PL here in the U.S. that's got the ability to fulfill a subscription uh, program, um, how many people she's going to need on her staff. That's not, that's not what people think of because they're saying, oh, I would just like to have something happen. But when it happens, it can be huge. And that's just, I'm lucky. I've gone through this. I've gone through this on my own. I've gone through this, you know, on the corporate side. And mm. it's not, it's not rocket science. It's not difficult. It's just complex. You got to hit the hit the steps. So now, and with all that in mind, and there, it sounds like it, it's being success, and it's, it's it, you know that that's a lot of fun and rewarding stories. As we reach towards the end of the podcast, and there's always more things to talk about than time to talk about them. I always have two questions that we hit on, so we'll, we'll jump to those now. So the first question I always uh, hit on is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made, and what did you learn from it? Worst business decision I ever made was to not understand packaging. Mm. Um, packaging, you, you're not going to be standing in front of every single customer in every single store. I mean, every single store. I just landed a, a big box store with 2,700 stores. There's no 2,700 uh, clones of me to be out there. You can't sell it. Your packaging sells it for you. And people have to understand what that product is. So I had a product called Easy Diet Labels. Um, by the name, you could probably guess what it is, maybe not. But mm. I had that name in big, bold logo right across it. And that was it. Mm. People would look at it. They don't know what that product is. Um, if you go to the, to, the, to the pharmacy right now and you look for ibuprofen or aspirin, do you know what it says on the label? Pain reliever even though everyone knows what ibuprofen is. It mm. tells you exactly what it is, and that's a great name because it also tells you the benefit. When they launched um, a Fitbit, they didn't say it's a Fitbit. We know what a Fitbit is now, but when it launched, it didn't mean anything. They sure. called it an activity tracker. Mm. Um, when, they launched, when they launched the car, they didn't say automobile. They said horseless carriage. 
People need to know what your product is. So my biggest mistake was putting out a product and not mm. telling people what it is on the package. No, but um, no, it's, it's silly. It's to sometimes you get you know enamored with the name of the product, the name of the package, you know how cool it looks and everything else, and those are easy things that oh yeah they'll figure it out or they'll pick up the package and read all the small print or they turn it around. And I, I like your examples of to your point, you just put out right on there, hey, this is for pain relief, and if you have pain, that's what you need. And I think that it's an easy mistake because you can get so wrapped up in the packaging that you can miss those simple things that really help to convey your product. So yeah, my mother, my mother liked it. But that didn't count. <laughs> so now as we jump to the second question I always ask, which is now if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? I would say build your business or your product or your invention from your heart, mm. from your passion, from your experience. I've got a, a little pug over here. He's 17 years old. He's blind. Well, he'd be 17 on March 1st. Um, if I was building a product for uh, uh, a dog, for a pug, I know things about pugs that people, other people wouldn't know. I know how much they shed. I know that you can't use a regular collar. You need to use a harness. These are not things you would know if you weren't a pug owner. If you are a parent, if you are into extreme sports, um, if you're into glass blowing or opera or whatever it is that sets you apart, work from what you know, what you have your passion in. And that's going to give you an edge on everyone else. Because as Jack Trout says, differentiate or die. You mm. need to have your product to be unique. What sets it apart? And if you start with your own knowledge, you're different. Everyone is unique. So build that into your product. What do you do that's unique? What is it that um, uh, sets you apart? Do that for your product. And then don't stop there. Always put it in front of the customer for feedback. Hmm. Because now you're one person. Get it in front of your customers. Get feedback. See what they say. And when you follow that rule, you'll have a product that's unique, that's differentiated, and that customers want. Hmm. You no, that. I think you that's got a winner. No, and I think that I think that's great advice to the people that are just getting into it and definitely something to take to heart. Well, as we wrap up, you know, people want to find out more about you. They want to be, you know, use your course. They want to hire you. They want to be an employee. They want to be an investor. They want to be your next best friend. Any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out to you and find out more information? Well, first of all, on that best friend thing, chocolate. Chocolate gets you anything. <laughs> As far as contacting me, it's Product Development Academy. We're online at Product Development Academy. My email is Stephen at Product Development Academy. Our Facebook group is Product Development Academy. So, and even the book, if you look it up on Amazon, it's Product Development Academy or the uh, complete book of product design, development, manufacturing, and sales, which is quite a mouthful. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go. I'll go with Product Development Academy. I think that's a great way to reach out to you. Now, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been fun to hear your journey and uh, hear all of what you have going on. 
it's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell, feel free to reach out to us at inventiveguest.com. Apply to be on the podcast. Love to hear your journeys. If you are a listener, also make sure to click subscribe so you hear all the new awesome episodes as they come out, as well as leave us a review so new people can find us. And last but not least, if you have any questions or need any help with intellectual property with patents or trademarks, go to strategymeeting.com. Grab some time with us at Miller IP Law. We're always here to help. Thank you again, Stephen. It's been a pleasure and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Excellent. Thank you so much, Devin.